First Peter, First Peter chapter two, and we'll tidy up the studies in this chapter. Try not to make it exhaustive because that would be exhausting, as you've heard me say multiple times. But we probably need to hit a few things here before we move on to three. And these are thoughts to, you know, kind of spark your thinking, maybe even spark your study as, a, as, as any of us as students of the Word. I, the Word of God, for me, gets more and more interesting every time through. And as many of you, I've been through it many times. This particular book, I would have read the book of First Peter well over a hundred times. That may seem like a lot, but it's really not. Um, you know, you, you, you ate a meal yesterday, you'll eat a meal today. And you might even eat the same meal in a week that you ate yesterday. The Word of God is even more so powerful like that. Man shall not live by bread alone, food but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, last time we went down to verse 25, which is the end of verse 2. And he concluded by saying, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now. And there's that phrase that we point out to you multiple times. You were, but now you are. You are now. And that is how we're supposed to think as Christians. Now, it's important to give some thought frequently to why we were not. What we, what we were, we are not now, you might say. We were, but now we are. And one of the things that he pointed out, which we looked at, was in verse 21, where he said, Christ also has suffered for us, leaving an example that you should follow his steps. Now, as Bible-believing Christians, I, I get a little concerned when I hear brethren acting like, because some people have made Christ an example to follow uh, who were primarily religious, we'll say, or primarily ascetic, that somehow the statement Simon Peter makes is, is null and void. But that's not true. And then there's some that are scared to death that they might have to actually be meek, or be humble, and because of that, then they explain away everything the Lord Jesus did in his ministry, and they major on one or two passages where he really did confront them and called them, you know, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. At the end of those statements is an exclamation point, so he was most likely very strongly raising his voice. He probably wasn't yelling at them like a lot of y'all do. But here it says, that we should follow in his steps, verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So it is never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. And it's never right to do wrong because someone else did wrong. It just isn't. Now, I understand it goes against the grain of, of, of many of us in our old nature, what we were, verse 25, but it's not in keeping to do what we were now that we are. Verse 23, who when he was reviled, what did he do? He reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. When it says as a lamb, dumb before her shearers, so openeth not his mouth. I've been around many a time where they sheared sheep, and when they pick those sheep up under their front arms and sit them on their bottom, that sheep will just 
bow its head and, and it gets shorn. It's quiet. They'll make noise before and after, but it just bows its head. And you know, that's, that's why God gives us so many illustrations that we could see. Now I realize if you grew up in a city or primarily around the city, you might, wouldn't see that. And you might see some exceptions to that. But that's what he did for us. So he committed himself to him that judges righteously. And I want to look at verse 24 uh, today before we move on. Because it says, Who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree. And would you mark those two words, that we, that we, okay? There, the reason he, God did it is God has a, a way, a method, a plan. Uh, God has a system that God devised. It's the re- reciprocity system. It's the substitutionary system in life. That we, ready, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now, we have no fear of that statement. We have no fear just because some have tried to take the apostolic signs, which existed for a reason. And I'm going to throw a parenthesis in here. The apostolic signs were because God was moving from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Okay? We, it's... it's totally biblical to picture it as a transition from an Old Testament to a New Testament. For example, as I said on Sunday to the class, I pointed out that the moment the Lord Jesus Christ died on that cross, the veil of the temple's rent, that he was buried, spent three days in the heart of the earth, the Bible says, resurrected, then ascended. When that happened, when he took that blood and applied it, when he ascended, at the very latest, when he ascended, there was no more offering of lambs or anything that would have a good effect. Up to that point, there was. Up to that point, if you wanted to get into what God's people were, God's people were and are what? They were the Jews and they had to offer their lambs, etc. And that did not pay for the sin, but it did set it aside. It was as if it was paid because the payment was coming. Once the payment was made by the Lord Jesus Christ, then there was no more payment and he will not accept any other payment. All other payments now are counterfeit. Now, this is important with what we just read, if you just follow with me. The reason it's important is because we were moving from the nation of Israel at the time to what the Bible now calls the church age. Paul said that there's Jews, Gentiles, the church of God, not a denomination, church of God, a phrase, a description of the people of God in this age, this last 2,000 years. So what we have is the preaching of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, he said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And he goes on to say that God is, is going to take the, the, wisdom, the wise and the scribe and all those people and set their wisdom aside. Now, verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 1, please note it. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks, speaking of the Gentile world, 
a good term. The Greeks is a great term to describe the Gentile world at the time because even though Rome is in power and all the known world, Alexander the Great before them had conquered the known world and he had left the Greek language behind as a standard. And God used that to take the gospel into all the world. Even as in 1600, in English, he gave us a settled authorized version and it went out to all the world. English is still... It doesn't matter how many people are in China speaking Chinese. It is not the dominant language of the world. The dominant language of the world is English. It's not how many people speak it in some you know, isolated part where they're basically prisoners to their own company, country. The Greeks seek after wisdom. Now watch, but we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. But on them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. So he said, the Jews require a sign. Now, just make a note that then he tells them in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, just jot it down, first, that tongues are for a sign. Tongues, there are languages. All through the book of Acts and the New Testament, those are languages. If you've ever tried to learn a different language and speak it fluently, you'll know that there's something to that. And so they were for a sign. A sign to who? The Jews. Jot this down. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. Three places where people receive Christ and someone will speak it in tongues. All three places, there are Jewish people there and Jewish believers, and God is using it to say to them, this is what I'm using now in this age. You see, offering a lamb is offensive to God now because he gave his son the Lamb of God. But you had to offer him for, offer a lamb for 4,000 years. So God deals differently, but he hasn't changed the principle, which is blood. <laughs> he also hasn't changed the principle, which is substitution. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. You were, now you are. By whose stripes you were healed. So we're not afraid of talking about the stripes and the things they put on Christ purchasing our healing. Okay? We're not talking about that. He did. But healing is not a sign today. And the kind of healing the apostles did was for a season. We know that when the Antichrist starts to come back in power and wants to impress the world, it says it's with all power and signs and lying wonders. Okay? So when he comes with all power and signs and lying wonders, he's going to fool people because people will be thinking, uh, as if it's back, way back in the transition between the Old and the New Testament. But the difference is we're, we're aware of it and we know it. Okay? So, we do believe in healing. We do believe God heals. We have seen Him. I have seen Him heal. We also know that it's not at our power to go around dispensing it. I can give you many instances. I won't belabor it too much. I can give you many instances that I know of personally where God did touch somebody and heal them. I can also give you instances where God said, 
that's not going to be my will, but I am going to heal them, the ultimate healing, I'm going to take them home to heaven. I have seen it happen in when my baby brother was in the accident there in California, way back, 1983. And the Lord specifically told my daddy, I've taken him home. By the time they got to the hospital, they put him on those machines and all that. And, they, and then they had to go through the whole trauma and drama of deciding to turn him off. But he was gone. He was, he was brain dead, declared that way at the hospital. He was with Jesus. I heard a pastor of a pastor whose daughter, only daughter, had sons, only daughter. Uh, he, uh, she got sick, got cancer, did the treatment. Uh, they thought she was coming out of it. Then it got worse. And everyone's praying, praying, praying for God to heal her. And the Lord said, I'm going to take her home. I know it's hard, but, you, but, but can we stop for a minute and, and focus on something? Was Paul lying when he said it was far better to be with Christ? Was he just being poetic so it would sound good preaching? No, not at all. He meant it. He said, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Philippians 1.23. But the sentence doesn't end there. He says, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. We should never let ourselves get to the point where we lose sight of what it means for a child of God to go to heaven. We should never lose sight of the fact that it is the ultimate healing. I know we miss people on earth. I understand that. I really do, more than I could put into words right this minute. But if we really love them, not just ourselves, I can't think of a person. I want, want to see them free of all pain. Ready? Free of any future pain. Free of any future tragedies. Be in heaven. But when it comes to healing by, his, by whose stripes we're healed, we can pray for healing and we have seen God heal us. And sometimes he'll just touch you and heal you. Sometimes he'll use a process. Uh, I was thinking... Uh, in today's Proverbs for the day, it did it like 10 years ago, but I was thinking this. I can remember several, several incidences where my physical well-being was in pretty bad shape. And in my 20s, once they told me I'd never walk again without a cane. Well, since then, I've got to do construction and play sports and do all kinds of stuff for years and years and years. And the healing was a process, but I believe God touched me too. Because he made it work. I know people that have tried the same things and it didn't work. I've seen him heal hearts and minds. I've seen him heal memories. I've seen him do a lot of things. So when we think of all he did, he said, by whose stripes you were healed, that's a good thing. There's healing in the atonement. And we need to remind ourselves of that and not be afraid of it. We should never hesitate to point out the things that are right and real. There's a ditch on both sides of the road you can fall into, okay? But that doesn't mean that what we should do is avoid that. 
In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, And when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So you see, it's not just for Jesus' day. He does heal. We still yield to that. Some people say, well, all you've got to do, you can go around and command it. You can't do that. You don't have the apostolic signs because he never intended that to be part of it. But we, we should never neglect the fact that there is healing in the atonement. We should never neglect the fact that he commands us to pray for one another. When you go to the book of James, chapter 5, if you're just jotting stuff down without running too many side trails, but that it is a part of this passage, okay? Um, He told Timothy, drink no longer water, Use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, then often infirmities. I know without all my heart that he's talking about using vinegar there. If you run the English references where that word wine is in your Bible, there's places, many places, and one of them was parallel passages of the Lord's own crucifixion. So there's some with medicine or natural stuff. There's some without. But what we do know is there is healing. Okay. So we don't give that up. We don't lose that. We don't stop praying. Now, I, I do think that there's so much emphasis on the physical today that about 99% of people's prayers are in church are about healing, healing and physical and my this and my that. Look, coming up on 68 years, a lot of miles on this body, a lot. A lot of wear and tear. Not, not any of it really on purpose, but a lot of it. If I think that I'm just going to keep going on like I did 10 or 20 years ago, I am deceiving myself. And if I don't prepare myself mentally for it, then I, I kind of look, I keep thinking, oh, well, something's going to happen so that I can be just like it was. Of course, it's not going to. That's not even reasonable. It can't happen that way. So there are some things that are just wear and tear on our body. We don't give in to it, but we kind of embrace it. We don't give in to it and let it stop us, but we accept it. Okay? So when he closes out this chapter in verse 25, you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd, capital S, and bishop of your souls. <clears throat> I don't know if you've studied sheep or shepherding. We're likened to sheep both ways, when we're lost and when we're saved. He told Simon Peter, feed his lambs, feed his sheep. So we don't, that doesn't change. We're likened to sheep when we're lost. All we like sheep have gone astray. We're turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, that's important. In the Western world that we live in as a whole, the part of the world that Japheth, you know, conquered. In our thinking as a whole, in general, it's all about more. It's all about better. It's all about independence. It's all about, you know, the eagle soars alone and all that sort of stuff. And yet, he says we're sheep. 
and he commends us for being good sheep and he can't really be our shepherd with a capital S, the good and great shepherd if we don't behave as sheep. So it's worth looking at. There's a great little book by uh, Philip Keller about the sheepdog that he had. A little paperback book. I guess, I'm, I'm sure you can get it now, you know, electronically and read it. It's worth reading. It's worth reading and looking for the parallels, for example, between a sheepdog and the sheep. A sheepdog is effective because it's very much like sheep. A cattle dog, like a blue healer, etc., they are useless with sheep. In fact, they're hard on the sheep. They're hard on the sheep because they, they scare the sheep internally. When a sheep goes through distress or disease or drought, it affects the fleece that they grow. And when they shear them at the end of the year, it affects the quality of the wool, which affects the price it brings, which affects the value of the sheep to the master. So we are a sheep. Some of us are sheep dogs. But sheep dogs are not cattle dogs. Sheep dogs are not carnivorously active dogs, though they will eat, you know, carnivorously. Sheep dogs are very much like sheep, and they behave like sheep, and they are, are only value is when they obey the shepherd. So it is a study in itself for us to remind ourselves to study sheep to study shepherds, to begin to think in the way that the Bible says it. And, and I'm, I'm going to park here for a few minutes because this, to me, is one of the most powerful pictures we can have of how we are to live. One of the places I lived and worked, there was an agricultural college, a well-known one, and part of its area and its offices and its livestock was right on the road that I would go back and forth to work and even go back and forth hauling horses. <laughs> and in one paddock, they had a big old sheepdog. He was a big old fella. And they had sheep out there, and they had different sheep, and then in the pasture next to it, they had different kind of like little, the little smallish goats and stuff, and they would, you know, they would run experiments on them, as in feed them this and feed them that and watch it. And that sheepdog would look like he was sleeping through the day. But if something at all happened, he'd be up like that. But the reason he was laying down sleeping all day is you, I'd go by there at night. A couple times I went by there just to see what he's doing. He's up. He's up walking around the sheep. He's up walking around the perimeter. He's guarding it at the time when it was easiest for the predator to come in. And yet his motions were not aggressive in such a manner that it would alarm the sheep. Watched a video once of a large group of zebra, big mob, big herd of zebra. And it showed these lions, a whole pride of lions, walking through right through them and they weren't even running from them. And the, the difference was their posture was they'd already been on their hunt and they were headed back to lay down and rest. And then it showed a, a segment where the pride lions came back the next day and were on the hunt. And their posture gave them away. And so those zebra were out of there trying to. And of course, they got one of them. So the difference is that as sheep, 
we're supposed to be followers. Now, 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 hear me out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend the rest of time in this class on this. As sheep, we're not to be soft-willed. We're to be strong-willed and submitted-willed. The problem in rearing children is not the strong-willed child. It's the self-willed child. You should want people to be strong-willed. The problem is many of you think strong-willed means stubborn. Strong-willed means, you know, determined. No. Strong-willed means that you can speak to yourself and say, this is what you're supposed to do. Now let's do it. To do so, you have to be able to have a submitted will. Because that's the only way for, for the world to function properly and God made it so. So a strong-willed believer is important. When he said that the woman's the weaker vessel, he wasn't talking about being frail and weak. He was saying in certain parts of life. But a woman with a, with a weak will is a hindrance to her husband, to her family. A man with a weak will is a hindrance to his family. He's a hindrance to the work of God. He's a hindrance to society. And he's a hindrance to himself. Now, it is not a badge of honor with God. It is not something you get the gold star for to be stubborn. Just within the last couple of days, two or three times, I heard somebody say, well, I'm just stubborn. I said, well, I hope you're not because it's condemned in the Bible. Okay? Stubbornness in the Bible is, is a bad thing according to God. Because God can't lead the person who's stubborn. Being strong-willed, the ability to say, this is what God said to do, so I'm going to do it. If Abraham had been stubborn, he would have offered Isaac when the Lord said, stop right there and accept my offering. Okay? And the reason that he, that he stopped was he was submitted-willed and strong-willed, but not stubborn so we have to remember this we have to keep in our hearts and minds what god taught us you know when the lord had to rebuke king saul he sent samuel to talk to him and Saul had done most of what God said. King Saul had done most of what God said, but he hadn't done it all. And he'd done some things he wasn't supposed to do, as in keeping some stuff for himself and the people. So in 1 Samuel 15, if you want to mark this down, Samuel said, 1 Samuel 15, 22, I'll begin. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So see, the stubborn person says, I'm going to go through with it. They don't even hear the voice of God. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Now listen, that doesn't mean sometimes we don't have to push our bodies a little bit. But we're not supposed to do it out of pride. And we're not supposed to do it out of a self-will. We're not supposed to do it out of determination to save face or just to feel like we accomplished something. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams. Now watch. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Why? Because rebellion puts yourself, 
myself if I rebel at the middle of it. That's the Luciferian doctrine of I. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. I will, I will, I will. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, but, but listen to this next part. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king, etc. You see, stubbornness is never recommended, but a strong will is. Jesus used the word obey. If you love me, you'll obey. If you love me, you'll keep. Listen, stubbornness and that determination without it being tempered and guided by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is a bad thing in human nature. I want to be a sheep. Not only do I want to be a sheep, I am, I know I am, and I want to be a good sheepdog. To do that, I've got to be able to respond to the master, not to myself. And I cannot treat the sheep in a wrong manner or it will stress the sheep and it will hinder them being profitable to God. So it's important for us to keep this in mind. You know, <clears throat> it's, it's an amazing thing. Psalm 32, write this down before I close. Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. That's like just a look can guide you. When we had horses and stuff, my dad could just give me a look and I knew what, he, what to do with that horse. And then he says, be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding. So there are some horses and mules that are uh, useless. They are stubborn. Watch. Whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle lest they come near unto thee. They're aggressive. They're self-willed. You don't want a lazy horse. I had a fella, he wanted to do some team roping. This is a long time ago. He wanted to practice team roping. On team roping, they take a steer, put him in the chute. You got a fellow on the right-hand side of the chute and a fellow on the left. And uh, generally speaking, the fellow on the left, is going, when, that, when that steer comes out, he's going to try to th throw a flat loop over the horns, tighten it, and he's going to turn to his left and pull that steer's head to the left, exposing his hind feet. The other guy on the right is supposed to throw a loop, a totally different loop down there where it'll catch his heels and string him out. And then it's a timed event, okay, heading and healing. And he, he wanted me to learn to heal. And I'd already, you know, I could do calf rope and stuff, but I'd never done any healing. So I get in the box and this horse was an experienced horse. He, he knew where to get and all that, but he was tired and he'd done it for years and he's lazy. And I'm telling you, when you're trying to learn something like that and you got a big long loop, you got it tucked under your right hand, top of the loop's in your right hand. you, And then you've got reins in your, in your left hand and stuff. The last thing you need is also to find enough body language to get that horse to go out when they open that chute. And he was lazy, just a plain old lazy horse. And I told him, I said, man, I said, I'm liking this, but it is really, he goes, he goes, a really good horse. He said, but you're right. We're having a little trouble getting him out of the chute. <laughs> I don't want to be that kind of horse. Uh, we had horses on the racetrack that if, if the jockey wasn't very careful, that horse would get their head a certain way where the bit didn't really work very well, and they would take off and run at full speed with that guy on their back, which is dangerous to everyone, especially the rider, but to the horse too, which is valuable. 
you take these horse races, you'll see them, and they'll have a big lead horse, and there's a person on it hanging, holding on to that racehorse until they get to the very gate because they might run off. You say, what's the point? The point is Psalm 32, 8 and 9. We, we, we should want to be sheep, submitted sheep, strong-willed sheep, ready to respond to the master's voice. And as shepherds, under shepherds, as sheepdogs, we're there for the sheep's sake. We're not there for our sake. So our body language, the way we do things, you know, we have so much aggression. Let's take where, where I'm at here in, in the United States. We're in the United States. We have so much aggression nowadays. You have so much hostility. There's so much violence that law enforcement is on edge all the time. And, and I understand. I don't blame them. But the really good ones don't display it with their body language. So they're able to diffuse and diminish and, and bring down some things to defuse it whenever possible. And that is the mark of a real sheepdog. Now the sheepdog will deal with, David killed the lion and the bear, okay? <laughs> he did. So a real sheepdog will deal with it. He will. But also, as a sheepdog, we're to think of the sheep. We're there for the sheep. And we have to be sheep and be a sheepdog. So you were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop. All, the, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. But now, but are now, let us live our life thinking like a sheep, not like the world says sheep. See, you're going to have to just leave the world behind, get that new view, as we would say, and follow it through biblically. It takes some study. Why wouldn't it? Everything in life that has ever been worthwhile took study, took some learning, sitting at someone's feet and practice. Everything. And if you really want to be good at it, you embrace it and you become a lifetime learner. Father, I pray you'd use these things, these matters, and I pray you do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.